welcome to the CE Pro Podcast. I'm Executive Editor Arlen Schweiger. What's fueling Bowers and Wilkins' comeback these days? Editor Jason Knott spoke with B&W's James Krakowski, Executive VP of the Americas for the audio company, and he gave us an update on the proposed acquisition by Sound United. Later on, Jason talked to Sound United's Frank Stearns about what B&W brings to the table for that company that already has a stable of very well-renowned audio brands. Hi, Jason Knott with CE Pro, and joining me this week for the CE Pro podcast is James Krakowski, Executive Vice President of Americas for Bowers & Wilkins. Hi, James. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, last week, we were all hit with the news that preliminary discussions are underway for Sound United to acquire Bowers & Wilkins. Tell us a little bit about that proposed deal. Yeah, so we're in early discussions right now with Sound United on how we could potentially combine our two premium brands. Certainly, there's a lot of synergies that could come from two premium brands. Um, and so we'll see how these discussions continue to unfold as we have just started uh, entering into them. Why do you think it's a good fit for Sound United and B&W? Well, we certainly, Bowers & Wilkins is a premium brand that's been recognized for over 54 years in the audio industry. Um, and certainly, Sound United has several wonderful brands under their umbrella that I think when you look at consumers today, they're looking for ways to deliver great experiences through great solutions. And so I certainly think there's an opportunity there, if this were to move forward, for the two brands to combine to, to deliver great solutions for consumers. So right now, uh, I'm a CE Pro integrator, and let's say I'm a uh, Bowers & Wilkins dealer, or I'm a Sound United dealer, or maybe I'm somebody who carries both lines what should they be looking for out of this? You know, it, it's, it's hard to say right now, Jason, because we are early in the discussions on how um, they would look for this. But I certainly think that in today's consumers, I see it every day where uh, products that Sound United sells are paired with Bowers in the industry. So I could see that continuing to, to gain momentum out there. Let's back up a little bit. Bowers & Wilkins is one of the most iconic brands in the industry. You touched on it. Give us a little bit of the history of the brand. Well, certainly, uh, you know, as you said, Bowers has been recognized over the years, both through our consumer products and our premium speakers that are iconic in industrial design, going all the way back to the first speaker that John Bowers brought to market almost 54 years ago. Uh, ever since, we have been known for pushing the boundaries of design and acoustical performance with our products. Uh, and that doesn't change, whether you find it in our passive speakers, or you find it in our automotive partnerships, or even with the new formation line that we launched last year. We've always been known for pushing the envelope with design, but never compromising on our audio performance. I think you could clearly say that the high design was brought to the industry for freestanding speakers by, by Bowers. You certainly hit on that um, very well. Tell us a little about some of these product launches, virtual product launches you've done in the last week with your dealers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's an exciting time. And, you know, unfortunately with the, the, the world events that have unfolded over the last 90 days, we have all had to become very nimble and change the way we go to market. And product launches are the first one to come to mind. Uh, certainly we can't bring a lot of people together into a room to talk about or listen to products. And so starting last week, uh, in 
the UK, we started doing a virtual product launch for some new products that will be announced on June 24th. And this will be the first of many new product launches we'll, we'll test out virtually throughout this year. So in the last couple of years, B&W's really made a comeback. You know, we do the CE Pro brand analysis and uh, a few years ago, the, the brand had had fallen actually out of the, the some of the top spots. But in the last year, especially, the brand has really made a comeback. What do you attribute that to? Well, I, I appreciate the recognition and I appreciate uh, the support that CE Pro has given us, and particularly the article uh, from this month's issue. Um, really, it's about thinking about customer journey. And that's really how we approach going to market in the US is reverse engineering our go-to-market strategies on the customer journey. How are customers looking for premium audio products today? And is Bowers & Wilkins accessible and visible in the way that consumers are looking to buy those products? And by doing so, we identified a lot of gaps in our distribution. And so we took a very pragmatic approach in expanding our distribution into channels we typically haven't been in but doing so in a commercial zone management structure to prevent cannibalizing the business or impacting our dealers and our longstanding partners. And so I call it the modernization of Bowers and Wilkins as we bridge the gap of strengthening our existing core dealers and expanding into new channels. And I think that approach was validated by the CE Pro article and the way that we have really responded in the, uh, in the industry. Yeah, it's absolutely clicking with, with dealers. You touched on the virtual product launches. How have you navigated COVID-19 over these past 90 days? I see you working from home like a lot of people. Certainly. I'll tell you, the passion and the productivity and the creativity of my team has really shined through in the last 90 days. Uh, you know, we were very fortunate that in the U.S. market, we didn't have to take some of the negative impacts that um, other, other companies had to. And we were able to keep our staff intact, which made me really happy. And because of that, the team really rolled up their sleeves and started to figure out new ways to engage with dealers, whether that was virtual meetings uh, or that was training. We really took a the approach of how do we engage and support our dealers during these tough times? They've supported us through the years and it was our turn to re uh, it was our time to return the favor. And so we reduced our uh, shipping thresholds. We started drop shipping to, to dealers and to customer homes. Um, as I mentioned on training, we trained close to 1,700 sales associates across all of our retailers in the U.S. and Canada um, through virtual trainings. I think it was up to almost four trainings a week we were doing. And we also pivoted and we started partnering with Cedia and doing AIA trainings to help on that side uh, with theater design. So we really kind of pivoted from pushing uh, sales to really how do we support and organically gain sales through that support. What are you hearing anecdotally from your dealers? You know, I, I, it seems to be very regionalized. I've heard from some integrators who never slowed down at all uh, during this crisis in the Midwest, especially others mm -hmm. in the New York area and others where they just weren't in homes for, for three weeks or, or about a month. What are you hearing anecdotally across the country? Very similar to what you have, Jason. It has been really driven off of the local governments. Um, how do local governments approach um, the, the disease? How did they deem a business to be essential? And how did those dealers in those markets also become creative in the way they were approaching consumers? You know, we saw the shift to the omni-channel approach and online really take off. And some of our partners really lean in on that space and we supported them with expanding our product offerings online. 
great example of that is with our 700 series, which was a series that we reserved from being transactional online. But we certainly have partners that had taken inventory positions that need to be supportive to be able to sell that product. So rather than waiting for the stores to open for, up for them to start selling, we allowed them to go transactional online. And that opened up a whole other revenue stream for us. Um, and so those that were able to be creative in individual markets were able to be successful. Those that were able to work within their local governments were able to be successful. And then other, unfortunately, there were parts of the world where like New York or Florida or in the, the Pacific Northwest where they really locked it down that those deals were unable to uh, res you know, continue to react or respond to consumer needs. You know, I think some of the methods that integrators have adopted during this to, to adapt are gonna be long-term. You know, they probably were really good best practices that they brought into the fold that maybe they could have, should have done or could have done years ago. So it'll be interesting to see how long uh, these go. Now, um, being based out of the UK, has there been any effect on the COVID crisis from the engineering and, and the design standpoint for the team across the pond? Uh, across the pond, they were just as uh, creative in the way that they were going to market in the way that they were responding to this. And so we did um, have some, uh, some impact in the UK where we reduced our operations to deal with the downturn in revenue. Certainly, you couldn't maintain the same productivity as revenue was, was declining. Uh, but from an engineering perspective, from a manufacturing perspective, we were still able to meet the needs during these last 90 days. And I think one of the unique things that I've heard from UK integrators is they had a national policy, unlike here where it was state by state Correct. and the, there was a regionalized effort, there was a national policy. So it really affected the country from, from, from top to bottom. Absolutely, absolutely. And even across the entire European nation, um, nations, you saw different uh, impacts where Germany was not as impacted as hard as Italy or the, the Benelux region wasn't impacted as hard as the UK. So very similar to where it was regional in the US, it was national by country, but each country operated in a different manner. All right, one last thing. Let's circle back to the Sound United situation. Sure. I know these things can, due diligence takes place and all these sorts of, of things have to go forth. What's the timing on something like this? How long does it typically take and what do you expect to see? You know, right now, due to the complexity of these discussions and how early they are, there's really no time frame set or a, a needed time frame to get them completed. Um, we want to make sure that we do all things correct on both sides. Um, so it'll be get done when it gets done. All right, we will be looking with bated breath on CE Pro to hear the latest news. James Krakowski of Bowers and Wilkins, thanks for joining CE Pro. Jason, thanks for the time. Really do appreciate it. Also this week on the CE Pro podcast, we got a chance to speak with Frank Stearns, Vice President of Commercial Operations Americas at Sound United. Frank gave us an update on the Bowers and Wilkins proposed deal from his perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about that potential deal and where it stands? The, the only thing I can say is it's very early in discussions and that's about all I can say.